Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the latest Shiny podcast. This is your host, Stephen Spector, and with me, as usual, is Rob Hirschfeld. Hello, Rob. Hello, Stephen. It's good to talk to you, and we are going to do another special podcast. Everyone's going to start wondering what's uh, going on, and uh, it's just that we're coming to basically the 50th, or I think this will be our 51st podcast, and Rob and I had talked about doing a uh, kind of a I don't know, discussion, review of the last navel-gazing. Yeah, I don't know the right word is. That's a good word, or the last 50 podcasts. So we're only going to be off by one, so not too bad. Um, We do have tons more content coming, lots more guests, and and people have been suggested, even more people. Um, We do have the folks from ARM uh, coming, so stay tuned. There's a lot of exciting podcasts coming. But in this one, I think it's just look back, Rob, and – I don't know if it's officially been a year, but it feels like a long time. 50 podcasts, one a week. 50 podcasts is a long time, and it's funny. I went back, and I was looking at our very first podcast, which has done amazing, about Ansible and Digital Rebar. Excellent. Uh, that was a great one. I mean, we started this sort of as a vendor, very rack-end vendor type of thing with the Rantcast format. If you're looking for the, the history right, to, to get together and rant. And we actually did a really good rant with uh, Eric Wright. So, you know, I, I was tempted when we were talking about the, the review to sort of go through the 50 and pick out some of our favorites. But there were so many good podcasts. It's been, you know, I, I really, really don't like playing on one or two that, that have been more influential than others. Uh, certainly some of them were fun. Like Eric's was a rant that had a lot of fun. You know, you keep track of which ones are the most popular. What, what's the What's the top? You know, I watch the numbers on uh, on uh, SoundCloud, so it's not total listen, but SoundCloud. One of the funny things is, and oh, it's very close. But we talked to Yves uh, Bourdieu from Ericsson, and we have recorded a second one with Yves. We just haven't pushed it yet. It's going to be a little bit before it comes. But he's been in the lead. But Cheaton Venkatesh, do you remember Cheaton? Mm-hmm. Dishwashers and service. Yeah. Chatton, I'm sorry. And I thought Chatton, he is only one listen behind him. They are very close, but I can tell you, uh, Justin Garrison's podcast, the Cloud Native stuff, Chris Short's podcast, did really well. So Justin, Justin was Cloud Native infrastructure and talking about intent-based computing, which was really important. And we use that in some of our immutable deployment uh, presentations. Chris Short and I got to a point where we he questioned whether ISVs were dead. Very influential podcast, yeah. especially at the end. And then that carried a theme forward for us. Uh, that Rich Miller and I picked up in, in yeah. depth later on. So one of the things I, I, I really like that we're doing, Stephen, is is we're creating a multiple theme, a multiple uh, episode theme in the podcast. So it's not just I'm going to sit down with one person and talk about their perspective. We're getting you know sort of these broader industry uh, pieces where you, you actually can think about a question that comes up in one podcast and then we keep, we keep bringing it back. Uh, we sort of dig in and, and, and talk about that. I have a couple of topics for us uh, as we, as we sort of get past reflection and move into sort of summary mm-hmm. uh, that we, they keep coming up. And so I want to bring them into the 50 and we can talk about how we want to explore them in the next 50. If you want to do that. Sure. Those are all great ideas. The the other thing that interesting is, you know, we, we get uh, you know, we've really been focusing on edge not as much DevOps as we did early, Kubernetes stuff, uh, security, the, you know, the Chris Short stuff. I do think we need to do more security. We have a lot that's coming for our listeners. 
a lot of edge startups, a lot of uh, pl- people, companies that are considered big players right now, you know, we're really actively tracking them all down. Going to get information from us that's, kind of, I don't know, state of the art, but kind of the latest thinking. And, and then occasionally, you know, we throw in crazy stuff and, you know, again, my favorite, you know, you can never have enough Jim Plumundin in your life. <laughs> no other podcast that goes through the history of developer evangelism and all the evil things he did at Microsoft. Self-proclaimed. Yeah, if you haven't listened to that podcast, and then I saw, you know, Paul Paul Tyke just took a new job from uh, Terrace Research. Wow! And so I, there's another company hired him to be their analyst. I, I saw it, and you know, we have people that we've talked to that are now going to have new jobs. That's a pretty big move for Paul. So I'm really, you know, interested to Paul's. Paul's amazing. I, I get he and I arrived. We're both from Austin, so we we seem to find each other on that outbound leg to some conference. And I just opened my ears and, and let him pour in hardware knowledge. Um, it's amazing. And I just did see, I tell you, I have to restate who our number one podcast is. It's David Lithicum. I, oh, I should have known that. David's great. We haven't spoken to David, but you know, we've been doing so much ed stuff. I'm not sure we need to talk that much about cloud anymore. <laughs> uh, cloud is still important. I, I, I think that you can't, you know, you can't separate edge and cloud and we should probably talk, you know, that's a topic, right? Um, I do want to. There's there are two there are two guests in our on our show that are on a lot of shows besides us that we should we should name just for posterity our dogs. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> make cameos in the background. I, I was just going to say yeah. So you know when you record podcasts and I work at home and a lot of times Rob works at home too. Our dogs are there. We um, we were using Zoom as a tool. And Zoom comes in in a single channel, so if someone's talking and the dog barks, it's really difficult to remove. We are now using a new tool called Zencaster, which gives us two channels, so we have a better shot of removing dog. Yeah, my my little ten pound monster uh, Neville is always here, and your giant poodle. I have a big standard poodle who uh, likes to chase balls in the background and bounce them. So you'll sometimes hear, if you listen carefully, a, a bounce. Or two as he, uh, he goes chasing around the room, looking for balls, or digging <laughs> under my desk. And his name is his name is Edgar Allan Poodle. So it's just Edgar yeah. Allan Poodle. So they are uh, partial participants. Maybe we'll have to uh, put their pictures out on the uh, tweet <laughs> on the uh, Twitter account. This, this, so. the, this can be their this can be their show. This can be their show. But the the Neville and Edgar Allan Poodle, for the most part, I, I I do a good job getting rid of it. So we're we're working on better tools for everyone. To do that, I, another thing we did a couple of I'd really like to do more is event podcasts. I love them, yeah, because you get people there. And I know the podcast we did with the folks at Honeycomb mm-hmm. was a really uh, was a really good podcast. I learned a lot uh, talking to oh Christine Yen, and yep. I thought I thought that was really good for our listeners. We will be at more events this year in the second half of this year. So we will continue to look for guests. And if you know you're going to be an event and you want to be on, reach out to us. We've had people contact us and we've put them on. We we are very happy to have a, just a quality conversation with somebody and, and get that into the queue. So totally, totally right on that. Um, and actually the second live show, third live, third live podcast we did, which was Scott's, it, we're following that one so that you're, you'll just had access to that. Uh, excellent. He just joined um, Heptio at the point in which he and I were talking. So, Yeah, that'll go out a couple of days before this one. So I'm busy loading that up today. 
that'll be good. And that was from Interop, which seems like a long time ago. I'm not really sure, but I lost <laughs> track. Yeah, it's and it's worth noting. We really do want your feedback. I think so far we have sort of tossed these podcasts podcasts out into the ether. You know, sort of based on our instincts and what we wanted to talk about. And you know, of course, we'll keep doing that. But we're we've reached a point where you know we want to hear some audience feedback. You know, what topics should we cover? Do you like how we're covering them? Are there burning questions that you'd like to see more of? Is the audio acceptable? Another, we can always improve audio, but uh, you know, we want to we want to hear things like that. Yeah, and so we have new tools now, so I think that work. And also, I post all these podcasts as YouTube videos. Does anyone want those? It, it, it's not hard to create them and post them, but I think podcasting is so much easier to access now. People really don't have to go to YouTube. You also do an amazing job of doing some nice summaries with timestamps and things like that. People, I, I do a lot of the talking. I love to dig in and get the questions going and, and, and talk shop. It's easy to, to forget how much work it takes to produce a podcast. Stephen, you are doing an amazing job cleaning things up, making things right, keeping us on agendas and topics. And that really, that really pays off, right? That's, there's a lot to a podcast that under the water. Yeah, and, and for those of you who ever think I want to do a podcast, just it takes about an hour to edit 20 minutes. That's about what I've discovered after 50 of these. <laughs> so so when, when, I'm, when I'm asking that last question, you're like, oh, there's an hour. There's an hour, but I, you know, I, I don't mind. And it was funny because the, you know, we're recording this now, but last week when we pushed out, which is today as we are time travelers, as you like to say, the State of the Edge uh, podcast, that one I'm really excited about. I thought that was a lot of fun. And if you haven't listened to it and you're interested in Edge, uh, you can go get the report, which we made fun of was 93 pages, <laughs> but the uh, authors thought it was great. I was a little nervous that we went too far, but it was still fun. And, and I think uh, the authors liked it. If you have something coming out and you'd like us to read and discuss and comment on it, oh. we're happy to, do, we're always happy to do that. <laughs> oh no. Uh, Steven, but what, I think, have you, what have you done? <laughs> the other thing I think is nice. This new tool will let us have um, a couple more people. You know, it's nice to have, uh, you know, one guest, but you know, we haven't really done kind of a round table, three or four guests. And I've done those kind of podcasts as participants before, and those are neat too. Yeah. And so I think we'll look to expand in that. And now we have our new Medium uh, blog, which is just medium.com slash latest shiny with the letters and numbers. And so we'll keep uh, promoting that and growing this uh, podcast. I think I want to find a hook, a literal hook, <laughs> to be yeah. able to yank on some of our, some of our guests. I, I love our guests. I wish... I, I don't like interrupting people, even though I do it all the time, because I want people to finish their thoughts. At the same time, you know, our podcast and our flow really works well with back and forth. And so, you know, one nice thing I like about the Zencaster is that I can raise my hand and we can sort of bump into a, people a little bit more than we've tried to do with Zoom. Although, you know, it, I hate to interrupt somebody who's got a flow. Um, actually, one of the things I'd love to hear even one-on-one -on -one from people, do you want me to interrupt more? Right? Do you want Stephen to break in a little bit more and, and, and help keep us on, on topic? Because it's your time, ultimately, right? You know, I assume you're listening to this sped up, so I talk really slow on purpose. <laughs> but I think, I, I, you know, adding that is, you know, for our listeners, we do pre, we do, we don't have preset where we have huge scripts. And I, I, I love that we kind of say this is what we're going to talk about and it's very spontaneous. We do try to tell our guests to be limited in their responses. 
Some guests just aren't. Do we stop them or we do let them go for five, six minutes? It's one of those things we're not sure about. 50th episode, sort of reflect and get feedback. So please do that. It's it's important for us to know, you know what we can do to make things make things more fun. Helps us push around the guests too, <laughs> if we tell them that the audience wants. And then one more thing before we start discussing the, what we've learned in the last year. Uh, the theme song is, we're very close now. I had my uh, son looking at video game noises and, and Rob knew all the video games. And of course, I didn't know any. How good. We are close to having our theme song to begin the uh, podcast. We also haven't done sponsorships or anything. I, I, we'll have to start to think about that. We've been non-commercial. I like it non-commercial. Most most people might not even know that we work for RackN and produce Digital Rebar. Uh, we don't always mention that. Yeah, but we're from open source. So uh, at least my view is if you do open source, you kind of have to give back to the community somehow. And so for me, I don't write code anymore. I think this is a good way to give back in general to the industry. Well, I think back to the Cloudcast uh, and Brian and Aaron, sort of their origin story for that. Part of what they wanted to do was discuss and talk and, and figure out where things are going, right? Uh, and the latest idea with the latest Shiny is we want to be discussing these new, new topics. Uh, that's drawn us to edge pretty strongly, where we think there's something interesting going, but blockchain has some you know positive components i'm sure we'll see more of that uh as we go and i still think there's some serious transitioning going on with open source to you know so we have a lot of topics to cover yeah the open source i know we have some more open source people to talk about the topic which i've really liked we've talked about is sustaining open source projects long term i think that's a great topic that no one has and we have another guest coming up later this month some open source folks i know to talk about it yeah, that's a bit of thread that's very good. We might want to try and do uh, get Sam Charrington in to talk a little bit about AI. It would be sort of fun, do some collaborative podcasting. We've done that in the past. We haven't done one recently where we, we had other, other podcasting hosts come and share, sort of share. We did Aaron. We've, we did Judine. The Tech Village. Right. Although, you know, a lot of, and Eric, right, also is a mm -hmm. previous podcaster. Although it seems like uh, there's a, a bit of a podcast drought right now. So we're happy to be filling the void. A lot of my favorites um, have not been as regular lately. And so to be regular as a podcast is work. You have to be dedicated. And we try to just so you know, we try to stay at least four to five weeks ahead so that we're not scrambling. And it is the summer. So I'm we're doing good because we're already recording into late August now. Until conference season picks up, and then we're going to be busy again. Super busy again. So I feel good that we're going to continue to hit our weekly podcast. And I have pushed on Saturdays. I have found that people like to listen over the weekends. And also, I, I think uh, holidays are useful. Because I know if it's a holiday and there's really nothing going on, I'll go to my computer. So why not listen to a podcast? That's when I do my long runs. So. I need more podcasts on my long run days. So do you want to, you know, we, we, we prep things a little bit. Let's, yeah. you want to jump into some meat? Yeah, let's do that. And, and talk about some things. And uh, so I have, I have a list of ideas. I'll name them and then we'll, we'll riff as we go. Does that okay. sound? So I, I have open source and vendor ecosystems as a topic, um, blockchain. And then I have a whole bunch of edge topics, edge app dev, edge data sharing, edge killer apps, edge multi-tenancy, you know, because we've been covering sort of a lot of these edge pieces. Does that sound like a fair list? Is there something? It is. Let's, let's, start with the, let's start with the open source, which is, you know, always 
a good topic. For this one, we had um, John Willis on board talking about Docker and Docker's experiences with this. Rich Miller talked a lot about open source, and we've, we've had a couple of guests. So it's an ongoing topic. And as you know, just from a history perspective, Steve and I were both involved in early OpenStack. I stayed in. Stephen escaped. Escaped? Well, I, Dell pulled me away from Rackspace. And then, and then instead of putting me on OpenStack for Dell, which I'll never understand, they had me work on VMware for a year and a half. Ah, uh, okay. It's a giant mystery. And then with HP, it came back to OpenStack. Yeah, I mean, we put a lot of time into OpenStack. It's there. The event is the OpenStack events have certainly changed, and they've gotten smaller. I know you've still been going. Berlin is in the fall, and then Denver. Is it? No, there's a PTC in Denver. I have not seen where the spring event's going to be. I don't know, but you were just in Vancouver and it was quite different. Just in Vancouver. Um, it was smaller. It was more intense, you know, meaning the people who were there were really working on OpenStack. So the, the challenge with any of these exploding communities, Kubernetes is going to have the same challenge. Uh, and I'll definitely be at the Kubernetes KubeCon in November is that, uh, it, you know, you get, if they double in size, half the people there are basically brand new people. And so there's a whole bunch of Groundhog Day effect in every show. By, by getting smaller, you eliminate the Groundhog Day. And so the people who are there jump into deep conversations and are really working on problems and really solving things. And so while it, it didn't have the same sort of, you know, big, big circus effect that we had maybe last time we were in Vancouver, it had a lot more of the, I've rolled up my sleeves, my hands are dirty, I'm going to look up and, and figure out how to dig the holes together. But I see open source, you know, coming from community manager perspective. To me, I get you have the developers that work on it, and that's always part of open source. But one of the things you have to spend more time is with the customers in the ecosystem. And there are three pieces. And I think OpenStack has done a good job with the developers. They're always developer-focused and stuff. But the, the ecosystem and how to manage and control it has really been a problem. And it's kind of crumbled a bit. And then the customers... It seems like it's always the same customers we hear from. And yeah. I don't know how well the feedback loop from customers back into the developers is. I so let's let's abstract this away from OpenStack specifically, even though that's where we have a lot of history and we're active in Kubernetes too. A quick aside, our episode with Gina Minx also did a good job talking about open source. And she had a really good insight with that. She, she was working for VMware. So you had mentioned developers, vendors, users, right, as, as three parts. And I think one of the things that we miss in, in these conversations is uh, operators. And that was one of the things that I think in OpenStack we really got confused yes. about is that we didn't think enough about operators as a primary audience right up front. And that sort of came back. And Kubernetes, I think, is suffering from a similar challenge. The vendors for Kubernetes are, are cloud operators in a lot of cases, and, and they're doing the operations for you. Uh, there's Edgar. Uh, voicing his opinion about cloud operators. You can hear him growling in the background. Uh, <laughs> and this is one show he doesn't have to hide. So there's these three legs of the stool from an open source perspective. What I've been really worried about in that, in that mix is the sustaining side of open source, right? Developers are always want to work on the new version. Vendors are the ones sustaining these projects. Is that, that a fair sort of assessment of where we are? It is. And what's interesting with, so if we just focus on Kubernetes for a second, what's interesting is that came from Google, but I believe now Microsoft right. is, you know, everyone's joined in 
and so it's the big hot thing. But if someone invents whatever it is next, who knows what it's going to be? And let's say it's a Kubernetes replacement, which we all go can't be. But you know, two years ago we all said Docker. So if that were to happen, then what happens to the people that commit to Kubernetes? You know, if Google stays, does Microsoft leave? Uh, open source. You know, how do I say this? Technology change is happening so fast now that technologies don't have time to become standards before the competitor to replace them comes out. This is a big oh, part of open source because yeah. we're seeing it with open source too. Docker didn't have enough time to become a standard, and immediately everyone's like, "Well, I don't need Docker anymore of Kubernetes." Wait, wait, <laughs> hold on. I want to decompose that a little bit because I mean, Docker, the company, tried to create all this tooling around Docker containers, and and they couldn't move fast enough, right? And they weren't, they didn't build enough trust in their ecosystem. That's where I see it that that people would use their tools. The, the container side of what they did is, is still pretty standard and wired in, and, and you know we're getting, we're moving to a whole bunch of alternative surfacing now that, that the interface has moved on to, from Docker to Kubernetes. But Docker is still a fundamental part. It's just a, a different part. It's the operational tooling uh, of the platform that we we really needed to work on, and that was. And I, I want to give people proper props, right? We say it came out of Google. IBM was immensely influential behind the scenes. Red Hat has been essential for, for Google and Kubernetes to work because they basically folded up uh, OpenShift operations and jumped over to Kube. I know that's not the way they portray it. OpenShift gave up fighting uh, parts of the OpenShift battle and they moved to a different plane for OpenShift. So all confusing thing. What do the big customers do? So my experience at Dell, and you were at Dell as well, and experience at HP, I was at HP a year and a half ago. Customers oh, I yeah. talked to were just starting to virtualize. Sometimes we're so far, <laughs> open source is so far ahead that we forget this is the, the masses that, that are I find, nowhere near you know, us. And since we're promoting and maintaining a digital rebar as an open source project, it's very hard to launch that and get, get things moving. It's much harder than people realize. A big part of what you miss is that the developers show up and they want to play with Bright and Shiny and they want to sort of run off with the technology and try and use it for, for free. The sustaining parts of that technology are really where uh, the challenges come into, right? So it's it, building Kubernetes is important. We need a lot of developers to do it. I don't want to downplay that. But once you've installed Kubernetes or yeah. running it in production, it's not just going to sit there and, and perform and do its thing. It has to be maintained. It has to be patched. It has to be updated. All of the surrounding infrastructure around it is going to be, you know, adjust, you know, have to be patched and updated. We're in this world of constant change. That perspective costs money. And that's where vendors are, are, are actually really important in these ecosystems and customers who deploy these open source projects in production need to think through how they're sustaining that project in these environments. You know, very few of them can can take on that burden. And if they do take on that burden, they're not necessarily sharing it back into the community so nobody benefits. There is a role for vendors in, in these open source ecosystems. Um, and it makes me sad when they're portrayed as bad actors. They're actually critically important for a project's success is to have somebody sustaining the, the product. I'll give you a great example of something really relevant. So when I was at HP, we had Helium which was our version of OpenStack that we marketed and, and did the launch and everything. And then when HP and HPE split and HPE let go of the cloud, they handed Helion to SUSE, right? Then when HP sold off a bunch of their software, 
Suse ended up somehow under the same company in England that HPE sold off his software. And this week, Suse took money from a VC, and now they're on their own again as an independent company. Are they still supporting Helion OpenStack? I don't know. But just imagine if you were a Helion OpenStack customer, all these changes are happening with the company that yeah, you depend on right. to manage Which your might cloud. make you think, oh, I'm just going to do it myself. Uh, that's much worse. So, you know, you, you help stabilize these companies by buying support from them. And if, if nobody's buying into the support model, that's really going to deprive us of innovation. Otherwise, you're the only way, and we, Rich Miller and I talked about this a lot. Otherwise, the only innovation that's going to come out of it is when in a SaaS where people control the IP and can monetize it. If we really want software to thrive, we have to have companies that are paying support on maintenance for software that's, that people are producing. There's just no other way around it. And I, we'll keep digging into this topic with other guests. But I haven't seen the open source community talk about this. You know, I feel like, yeah, well, I guess we're on the outside. I can see that kind of mainstream open source. There should be people talking about oh, maybe we one. need to get Matt Assay on and talk with Matt about it. I've met Matt before, but I, I don't know. Maybe you know him well. We can get him. And I think it would be a good because he seems to be, you know, when he publishes about open source, he kind of I see him as a central figure in it. I do want to do want to talk through in, in future and, and sort of close this topic down. But the monetizing, you know, how people make money from software is really important. And I feel like we don't want to talk about it, just like people don't like to talk about salaries, I guess. But if we don't, then there is no driver for these innovative new platforms to come out. And they're all going to end up surfacing out of big companies, you know, externalizing their IP for a variety of reasons. I think we've, we end up with a mess in some of these, you know, Kubernetes is working out so far. It's not that simple to take a, you know, take corporate IP, convert it into a project and then sustain that project. And to me, that's not really an innovative, that's not the innovation model. I think that's because people are still on the early open source with the, you know, GNU Foundation and, and those guys. And it was very much, you know, it was very much socialism versus capitalism kind of thing. And, and now that open source has become mainstream, it's not the same. Open source is not what it was 20 years ago. It means something different, yet people in open source continue to still think they're in this uh, free versus, you know, battle. And Eric Raymond and those guys are amazing, the cathedral, the bazaar, all that stuff. But that those concepts are over. And, and open source needs a new... It needs a business model. Well, once again, I'll, I'll you know, I think at another podcast, I asked <laughs> you if you would send me back for a PhD. So maybe that's what I'll do. I'll go back for a PhD to create open source's new model. And I can never work again. The same <laughs> yeah, school. I, it's a good, it's a good study topic. And it's hard, right? You know, because RackN promotes a single vendor project for digital rebar. And we talk about, you know, what it would look like if multiple vendors were in, if different people were, were including digital rebar into their product mix. We could have a whole show just on actually. See, what we should do is we should actually have uh, get Greg and I to have a show and, and sort of relive some of these debates that we have on, on this journey. And I think a big one is also is uh, letting other people contribute code. You know, the model that Eucalyptus did, which everyone kind of thought it was very strange. I, what was the term for that? Where it was? It's an open corporate model. That model seems to be much more prevalent now. So it's a whole show. <laughs>
Yeah, well, blockchain's new to me. <laughs> I'm still trying to understand it. I thought our our talk that we put out with Duncan and the blockchain tech partners that we put out this week was a a good podcast, but I, I think we need more on that. And certainly I'd love our guests to, I mean, our guests, excuse me, I'd love our customers to, you know, let us know. It's well, in some ways it's bigger because it's a software problem. It's not an infrastructure problem. So, so these infrastructure plays are all going to be limited based on people who have infrastructure. This is why Kubernetes is so much bigger than OpenStack, um, in my opinion, or will be bigger because there is no, you don't have to buy a server to run Kubernetes. And so blockchain is just going to be embedded. It's, a, it's an alternate database in a lot of ways. Blockchain people cringing everywhere now that I've said that. But it's, it's a distributed ledger. It's a way of storing and synchronizing data and, and sharing information. And so that has applicability to any application potentially. But, and there's a huge but here, we thought this was no SQL was the end of SQL databases. And it, it just isn't that way. I think that we still have to figure out what the right right application is. I have an analogy for you, Stephen. I feel like the blockchain uh, podcasts we have are like when I was a teenager mm-hmm. and my parents would talk to me. And I'm not talking like peanuts, wah, wah, wah. Um, but <laughs> what I actually mean is they would explain something to me or tell me to, how to do something. Yeah. And then I, they would leave the room and, you know, I'd, and I'd get it and I was all like, yeah, going to go do that. And then you, you know, they leave the room and you're like, well, what did they say? How does that work? Why was that important? Uh, I don't get it anymore. Well, I can tell you, like, as an example of Duncan's team for their podcast, you know, I'd listen to it and record it, understand about 10% of it. Then as I go back through and edit it and stuff and listen, I try to understand it again, but I'm still not sure <laughs> beyond the high level description. It's still confusing, confusing. And then we had the security discussion around it. And that was when I was like, oh my gosh, this is just a nightmare. You know, if you go to put your stuff in the blockchain. How, do you, how does a blockchain know you have rights to put it in? That just, you know, my headache just went from there. So I, I like blockchain, but I think if we're going to go that way, we need to spend more time. Maybe we have to create different channels in the podcast almost. I don't know. We should definitely tag, and we do, tag, tag the topics so people can focus on one or another. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to have a blockchain specific that was a blockchain podcast that was very use case specific. So I think about like the hanger case where we talked through a very specific edge application. And even though they have a long way to go from an edge perspective, it was very concrete. Finding people who have a very concrete, solid application for, for blockchain can help us sort of explain it. I, we keep turning around and I it, things make sense. We had a, we did some writing about blockchain in the data center and using it to distribute credential information or inventory information or you know basically configuration about servers and and there's a, a use case for it but it could be accomplished in more simple ways and so it, it started you end up i end up scratching my head well i'm st- i'm still not there on it i it still confuses me and you know duncan's with his team is great but you know, they have those foreign acts. That was a live podcast. It was harder. Yeah. People at different volume levels. And, and plus, those guys are all those guys are all really smart. And they're all also not just really smart. They're, uh, you know, they speak at a level very deep. Boy, we almost need more of an intro. What's something I'd love to hear? Uh, do, you, know, we, you know, we have a tendency in this podcast to skip to intermediate and advanced topics and do relatively little one-on-ones. And I, I think that's 
I like that format. We want to, we'd love to hear from you. And we'd also love if uh, people have what they think are good 101s instead of us doing a podcast as a 101. We're happy to cross-reference. We do not have any compulsion to do all the all the lift ourselves. We'd love to cross-reference and yeah. to our other podcasts and to other people's podcasts, blog materials, or things like that. So you know, The last area that really has been a huge focus for us is Edge. And I feel like we've really gotten into edge and that's what i talked about earlier we have so many really neat edge podcasts coming that we've already recorded or scheduled that really cover so many different aspects of it it's exciting i agree i am actually a little frustrated to be very honest on on edge in general it probably doesn't come out because i i, I don't I'm not i don't walk around angry but this is it i feel like we aren't in these conversations we've had aren't really talking about the the real issues at times and it's not the fault of the guests i think that we just don't know them and so i'm i'm a little frustrated because the things that i want to dig into deeper as a as a technologist feel like they're not even topics yet does that does that make sense does that come across well it's all new and i know some, well like i know some podcasts where we've had people on and they didn't go as deep as we wanted to and they've kind of stayed high level. And it's like, we didn't really want abstract. We want specifics. And again, I think the reason we both keep coming back to the Hangar <laughs> podcast, which our poor guests are still waiting for, it, our poor audience, excuse us. And it's, my, it's one of my favorites is because it went to, here's what we're doing. Here's how we're doing it. Here's how it would work. Uh, whether they can do it or not, you know, that's we're waiting to see. But it wasn't high level kind of fluffy. It was, you know, we got a drone. We want to do this. We, I'd love to get more of those. And that's right. It, they, there aren't. And that's right. We have the Swim AI. And that was, that was you know, once yeah. again, pretty deep. But even, even with Swim AI, I felt like there was this huge amount of things that we glossed over, like the whole app dev. So application development and tooling for Edge is missing. It's just unknown, right? It, it, it's very clear that it will be cloud tools and cloud platforms like Kubernetes adapted into the edge. There's nothing in those platforms that actually deals with the real constraints of edge infrastructure, like automatically seeking low latency, you know, using shared or sharded data. How do you test these infrastructures? How do you, you actually know what's going on in debug and test when you've got globally distribu distributed information? If they're going to be event-driven and serverless, what do those events look like? But see, to me, I love it because it's not there yet. And I find interesting is, is you push these guests and they don't necessarily know the answer, but no one wants to say, I don't. And, but it's still, it's still interesting because I, I feel like the people, the feedback I've been receiving, I think we're getting from people on Edge is they love our podcast because we're focusing on that very, the edge of the edge, I right. guess we could say. You know, we're trying to go with, well, how does this get solved? How does this get solved? Without being mean to the guests. At the... We're, no, we're not mean. We, we may tease <laughs> or something. Like There's just some stuff people don't know the answer. And I, I agree with you, Stephen. It, it's people don't want to say, I don't know, uh, right? Because generally, this is somebody's coming with, with a technology or something they've built. That's a scary answer or a very unsatisfying one. I'll give you one, you know, sort of at our digital rebar experience with, with BIOS and firmware updates. And, you know, everybody expects us to say we have a grand scheme to create a harmonized BIOS configuration utility. And our answer is no, it's just going to be 
a whole bunch of ragged edges will help you, will teach you good, good skills so you don't cut yourself with the scissors and patterns and practices. But there's, it's not, you know, you can't make the knife less sharp because then it doesn't work. And I, I feel like with Edge, I want somebody, I want to have a conversation where we're like, oh, you know, this, we're going to have all these problems and we don't really know how to solve them yet. And then we'd have a fun 30-minute conversation about what the problems were and some of the some of the anticipated solutions. Maybe we need to find a customer who is an advanced edge customer who understands it, who wants to deploy it, and they can say, these are the problems we're seeing as we try to... So that was actually Jordan, this would be a time to get Jordan Renke back because he was, you know, that's the problem they're solving. And so if you go back and listen to that podcast, you can really hear... Uh, he was just getting involved in his job at Walmart. Yeah, he was just started like a couple of days. Uh, and I've had conversations, you know, I have industry conversations that I, I can't share companies or people without their permission. And so, you know, we keep that quiet. There are these problems being solved. The questions I'm asking aren't, aren't random from that perspective. They're real architectural uh, challenges from making making things go like that. So app dev is definitely an issue. And then, and then the other side of that is the data, the data space. We had a really good conversation with Dave McCrory, a really good conversation with Dave Nielsen, also Redis. And data at the edge is right, it's 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 in some ways the definition of the problem is a data it's a data networking problem. I don't feel like we've had very good depth there either, because the data problem at the edge is is you know, you have to have systems that are smart enough to move data to the right locations, because that's a lot of the latency question, and prune and sift data and separate out, you know, what's important, what's not, data aggregation. These are really thorny problems. And the, I guess the frustration I have on that is that people aren't talking to us sort of about, you know, and framing the problem can be way too vague about how they're trying to solve these problems. It, it makes you go all the way back to Bernard Golden, which is one of our first podcasts. And we had this great analogy of tractor, you know, data centers in the fields to guide tractors around. And every field needing its own mini data center or its own servers to guide the the tractors in the latency, which isn't a sustainable model. Um, and we, I don't feel like it, even in the 50 episodes we've done, we've gotten much further than that. And that's, you know, this is, I guess this is ending up being the Rob, the, the questions Rob doesn't get to ask and, and where I'm a little, you know, I just don't feel like we have all the, we don't even have all the questions, let alone the answers. I've got two short topics on Edge and then we can, then we can close it. The other, with Edge and the other things that we'll be digging into is this idea of multi-tenancy because like we talked about with Bernard Golden, you can't just redistribute, you can't have everybody owning servers. Um, it's not going to scale. So we have to have some way to have shared infrastructure. We haven't really found somebody who can talk about that yet. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. We have a episode coming up with Jason Hoffman that we sort of tipped into this just mind-blowing idea for me that I've, I've, we've talked about since, which is that the battery and the, the physical limitations of, of the devices, the edge devices, are the killer app or potentially the killer app. So if I can go, that, that, was, that was just mind-blowing. Yeah, I like that one. I'll, I'll rephrase it and then you'll see this come up a lot more in future podcasts because I, I still want to keep going into killer app. But the idea is that if I can go and reduce your battery size by a fact order of magnitude or your processing requirements by an order of magnitude, 
then I've dramatically reduced the cost of the the device that you're going to sell me. And to do that, I need to offload that work to an edge infrastructure that pays for the edge infrastructure. So if I can be in a place where my, my Alexa or my video version of Alexa when it comes out is a tenth of the price or can run on a battery that require that lasts for weeks because all it's doing is transmitting video over 5G and all of the processing is being done basically at the, the cell phone tower, it revolutionizes the commercial aspects of Edge. So all of a sudden we can produce millions and billions of sensors and just stick them on things. But that, that's where I start thinking, you know, we are underestimating how important edge infrastructure is, and then app dev pieces and the data sharing pieces and the multi-tenancy, those are all come back from this idea that we it could change the economics of of devices if we can figure out how to get edge infrastructure. It's, it, there's an urgency there. One of the things that is happening at the podcasting is our network sprawl is really giving us even broader guests. And my hope is, is finding these kind of people you're looking for. From that perspective, this episode is really our shopping list for, for future guests, right? What topics we want to cover, um, planting some seeds, um, and hoping, hoping you'll help us make the podcast more awesome, right? Dive into these questions, take us into even deeper perspectives, because that's, that's the journey we're on. And if we have to talk uh, COBOL, the return of COBOL programming, it's okay. We're, we're happy to do that. <laughs> My understanding is that you can make a lot of money right now doing COBOL development. Career tip. Because there's almost no one left. Actually, my advice to somebody who's in their later career would be to, to find, find languages where you can, because most, most of us are polyglots from a computer science perspective. If you don't want to keep up with the shiny, the bright and shiny, latest shiny uh, Kubernetes and Go and things like that, there's some great stable languages that death need just as much expertise and help sustaining them. Well, I, I was a developer and then I was doing C and then they said, oh, no, no, you need to learn Java, you need to learn to this. And I realized I didn't want to learn all these new languages. And that was the end for me. But I could go back and pull my PL1 book out, which was close to COBOL. I already have your application for your PhD in open source business models. <laughs> now I have a new idea too. I, lots of business ideas. If any VC wants to hand me a couple million dollars, we are ready to go into the <laughs> COBOL you might get consulting your wish. field. No, Boise will become the home of a uh, home of COBOL. Oh, but we do, no. Rob. We do have to, as usual. I have to shut us down. But it's been a it's been a fun fifty one fifty one weeks of putting this out and you know when we started this we agreed you know one a week we've got to do it and we have to maintain ourselves and i'm i'm pleased we have and i know you know from your standpoint i have to keep bugging you to record these things and you have to make time available so i you know i appreciate it from my end and i it's been amazing and steven so i thank you you've just this is your efforts right i'm i i have fun i show up i ask good questions and and play with play get to be curious, but it takes, it takes a lot of dedication to keep, keep the pace. So thank you. So we're good for another year, everyone. I'm geared unless my PhD starts, <laughs> in which case, uh, PhD forget about it. but uh, we'll be here, but well, thank you again to everyone for listening. Uh, we appreciate you, uh, you know, following us, listening. Uh, we know that 
you know, we're trying to put out the best content for you and we feel like we're doing a good job. Please do reach back to us and let us know what we can do to help you. It's the podcast is for you. Ultimately, we just, we just facilitate it.